Well, good morning. Add my own welcome to, uh, to you this morning, wherever you're joining us from. Uh, it's been great to see on the chat different people uh, sharing and, and, and joining in with us. Um, yeah, the scaffolding in here is, is just amazing. And uh, we're welcoming you back from the 28th, from Palm Sunday. Really look forward to you being with us if you can. Uh, you'll need to sign up online for those. We'll get them up on the website uh, for you to sign in as quickly as possible. Then we'll be back in uh, properly. For, for Easter. It's exciting, isn't it? Um, Nikki and I, we had our vaccines yesterday. So, uh, uh, you know, not too many after effects really encourage people to have their vaccines. And uh, there's signs, aren't there, of spring all around us, signs of what God is, is doing. Haven't got a lot of time this morning. Uh, we try and keep it a bit shorter on a scattered Sunday. So um, would you just dive in with me into Exodus? Just grab Exodus again if you, if you uh, haven't already got it open or on your, on your phone or whatever. And, and we've got to chapter 25 of the book of Exodus. We're, we're following this story through. We've just got two more weeks. So next week we're looking at the golden calf. Maybe you know about that. You've read about the golden calf. And then the final week we're going to be looking at uh, how God goes with his people into all of the rest of the story of the Old Testament and then leading us into the story of the New Testament. And we've been, we've been talking, haven't we, thinking about this amazing journey as, as Israel is taken out of Egypt. And then God does the heart work, taking the attitudes of Egypt, which represent the culture of their day. We can really think about how our attitudes are shaped and impacted and affected by the culture of our day. And God works in their hearts to get those, culture, those things out of them in the sense that God wants uh, his way, his relationship to be at the heart of all they are. And as, we, as we're following this story through, there's a conviction being expressed about, about God's word as a, as a church. One of the things we wanted to do through this series on Exodus is think about how we read God's word. There are lots of discussions and debates that we're going to engage with and are engaging with over months to come. There's all of the issues around violence against women. And we need to hear God's word, as, as Heli's already shared with us this morning, as we pray into that. There's so much that's good that's being shared on social media and other channels, but it's not necessarily all godly. And we want a godly voice, God's good voice into that whole, whole situation as we speak about God's right ways, God's kingdom to come for men and for women. And what it does mean for every man to be committed to God's kingdom to us being part of the solution for everyone in society. But also as a church, we're going to be engaging in discussion debates about gender and identity and sexuality. That's something that's happening through the whole Church of England and we need to engage and we need a godly voice. Of course, we listen wisely to everything there is around us, but we need to hear God's word speak. And so that's one of the reasons we've been doing this Exodus series. There's a a profound conviction about the authority of God's word in our life as a church, Trinity. That's part of what it means to belong here. One little model that you can use for thinking about scripture is called the coma model. Jonathan is just going to put a quick slide up for us. There you are. Context, observation, meaning, application. 
There are lots of models that you can use for reading scripture, but this is one that I find helpful. So first of all, we think about context. We, we say when we look at something like Exodus, what, what's going on here? What's the genre, the style of the writing? This is narrative. And we know it's storytelling and history telling uh, in, in the ways that happened in the ancient world. So we know that, that the events uh, may be a bringing together of events. They may be stylized in a way to communicate truth to us. They communicate truth, but in the way of the genre. We also think about, about the bigger picture, what comes before, what comes after. Then observation. We look, what are the repeated words? What are the repeated phrases? And through this whole story of Exodus, we've had some key themes that have been repeated, haven't we? As we thought about God's presence, God's power, God's promises and the proof that God is going to bring about his way. Covenant has been a repeated, a repeated theme, hasn't it? We look for those. We observe what's the big idea in the passage. And then meaning, coma, C-O-M, meaning. What is it saying to us? What, uh, what did it mean to the people when it was first written? The word for that is exegesis. Those of us who've been to, to Vicar Factory and others know. And we have to do our exegesis first. We have to say, what did this mean at the time it was written to the people who were the audience? What was the big idea of the, of the, of the author at that time? And then critically, we get to the A, to the application. That's our hermeneutic, to use another technical word. What's it saying to us now? How is God speaking to us now through the passage? I know there's a lot on, on those slides and they'll be available, obviously, afterwards through YouTube and also in the notes that I'm going to do following up this. So coma, the coma method, context, observation, meaning, application. Well, friends, let's, uh, let's apply that as we, as we look to see what we've got here. So we've gone through the plagues, haven't we? We've gone into the desert with God's people. We've seen the rescue story. Then we were thinking last week about, and the week before, about the Ten Commandments. We were thinking about God re-establishing his relationship with his people. A covenant framework relationship, not a contract, but a personal covenantal relationship. And now we're getting to the last part of the story where God's people are being reconstructed around worship and around the presence of God. If you've got your Bibles open and you look back to chapter 24, you can see that after the giving of the Ten Commandments and God setting out the relationship that he wants with his people, the covenant is confirmed. Verse 3 of chapter 24, it's going to be there for us just on, on the screens. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. You can just see it maybe for yourself then. Chapter 24, verse 3. And then verse 12, a little bit later in chapter 24, God invites Moses back onto Mount Horeb. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I have written for their instruction. So, coma, 
our method of reading scripture. We've got something big about context. We've got something to observe in terms of what's just happened. The giving of the law in order to understand where we've got to now in chapter 25. And then actually on for a number of chapters. I can highly, highly recommend Richard Coton's Daily Devotional, Out of Egypt Devotional today. I hope you've been following that series through. But Richard did such a good job this morning. They're on the YouTube channel to to view, uh, talking about a verse from chapter 26. And I I love the way that Richard helps illustrate. But let's let's look at what we've got. I'm going to read for you verses 1 to 8 of chapter 25. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light spices, uh, sorry, for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Verse 8, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So here in the desert, as God, he's rescued his people, he's, he's restored relationship with them and now he's reconstructing them as his people around worship and there's a a tabernacle to a tent that he's being that is being created and being described for us if you read on in chapter 25 I haven't got time today to read on but uh, there's an ark I'm going to come back to that the ark of the covenant in the holiest holy of this tabernacle tent but you can see there's a there's a table if you just read on in the passage a, a table of acacia wood it's gold uh, inlay across the top and it, it, it also has rings on it so that acacia wood poles can be put through because no one can touch directly these things. Their holiness is so great. And there's a, there's a lampstand that is also a light. It's the symbol of the modern state of Israel, the multi-faceted uh, uh, light, the seven spurs with candles and lights on it in the front described for you and then there's a repeated verse right at the end of the chapter we'll put it up on the screen verse 40 God again says see that you make them all of this according to the pattern shown you on the mountain as Richard in his devotional said so well this morning in the middle of the barrenness of desert there is an outrageous explosion of colour. In in the middle of mess, there is intricacy that God places into the heart of his people as, as a focus for their relationship with him and as a focus for their worship. They are quite literally bringing their best, everything that they might have learnt in Egypt as crafts and skills, all of the finest materials, gold beyond gold beyond gold, the colours of the, of the different items all have symbolic significance as the best and they point to holiness 
And the pattern is the pattern of heaven. God says, make it to the pattern that I give you. It's not a pattern of the world. It's the pattern of heaven. Heaven on earth. It is absolutely a reflection, the best that we can offer in this world, of the heavenly realm. Just imagine that for a moment. In the sea of sand, in the depression of desert, in the worry of wilderness, God's pattern is placed at their very heart as his people. They are being reconstructed as God's people around worship and his presence. The table is a a symbol of offering and fellowship. You'll have noticed maybe if you read that it's got loaves of bread, 12 loaves of bread on it. It is the, the table of God's presence or the show table, 12 loaves, 12 tribes. We can work that out for ourselves. We can observe that and connect, can't we, using our coma method. Also brings into mind the Lord's Prayer, perhaps. Give us this day our daily bread. The lampstand, as I've said, a candle wick with six branches, a centre and then six branches, three on each side. Well, light. We don't have to know a lot about context to know the symbolism of light. But actually in it, it's constantly the word blossom is being used of the wood and the, and the decoration around the lampstand. Blossom, spring. We immediately make the connection, don't we, of new life. God reconstructing his rescued, restored people around worship, around his presence. We'll show a quick picture, Jonathan, of what it might, I don't know, maybe somehow look like. Someone's come up with that, this tent of meeting. But if we can show the next picture, right at its heart is the Ark of the Covenant. And let's just dwell a moment or two on the Ark of the Covenant. It's gold. It's a gold chest. It's inlaid with gold. It's covered in gold. And there are two cherubims on top of it. And the cherubims are so significant. If we know back to Genesis, as Richard again reminded in the daily devotional, we know that the cherubims are placed at the gates of the Garden of Eden and they stop people entering again after the fall. They have flaming swords. But now the cherubims are the gateway into the presence of God. They're symbols of message, they're symbols of God's presence. Because this seat, this Ark of the Covenant, this lid is the mercy seat. Inside the box, inside the Ark of the Covenant, God's law is placed. God's law that he's just given is placed. And literally the picture is God seated over the law. The mercy seat. God's right living. God's God's judgment, right judgment over all people. But his mercy. Because this is a place of atonement. This is at one This is God making one with his people. This is a picture of grace and mercy. 
Sometimes people try and divide up the Bible and say there's a kind of God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. Not true. God is revealed in progression. God is revealed in different ways to us. But the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And we see God in Jesus. Scripture always points us to Jesus. Jesus is our interpretive lens for looking back into the Old Testament. That's a a key thing to know about reading Scripture wisely and well. I'm sure most of us can make this immediate connection. The mercy seat, the, the place of atonement, Jesus, the cross, The Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The presence of God, the place of worship, the power of transformation, the power of resurrection. This is what we have before us. Coma, context of a story, of a narrative, observation. What have we got? We've got all of this imagery, all of this picture of colour and new life in the middle of a desert. Meaning, we see the symbolic meanings of all of these items. We connect the meaning in the Old Testament with the meaning in the New Testament. We, we see this pointing to Jesus. We, we see Jesus helping us to explain and understand all that is being described for us. In a passage of scripture in chapters 24, 5 to 31, might, as Richard described this morning, they might seem like um, Ikea flat pack furniture instructions. They're not. They're rich with meaning. And so, so what? Application. Well, of course, there's our need to be focused in worship around God's presence. It's a tent, not a temple at this point. God is a pilgrim God who is going to travel with them through the desert and into the promised land. You're joining us this morning Perhaps you feel in a desert, you feel in a wilderness. Perhaps you're someone who's single. Perhaps, as David said, you've been bereaved. Perhaps you're someone who who struggles with infertility. Nikki and I used to avoid Mothering Sunday for years in our life because of infertility. Perhaps you're here and you need to know that God is the God who travels with you. He's a pilgrim God journeying with you. But you have to be focused on his presence, camped around him in worship. His holiness, his purity, his absolute judgment of what is wrong is not up for grabs. It's not for negotiation. It's not for bargaining. We don't make a contract with God. We live in covenant with God. God's abhorrence of what is happening to women at the moment. God's abhorrence at so much in our world is clear. The Ten Commandments are not ten suggestions. They're a framework for living by. But he calls us from the mercy seat 
from the place of atonement, the cross of Jesus Christ, to come into his presence. Believe me, friends, I know that church family can actually be the hardest thing to connect with in difficult circumstances because it brings into focus so often for us that which really is deepest within us. But friends, remember that Jesus looked down from the cross. Read in John's Gospel. He saw his Mary mother. He saw Mary, the wife of Cleopas. He saw Mary Magdalene. Three women, three different circumstances of, 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 of the state of a woman and motherhood. And he saw John and he said, I am calling you into a new family in your circumstances, with your pain, with everything. Be family made by me, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we respond? Well, did you notice that in verse 1, right at the very beginning, God said, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. He didn't actually tell them what it was going to be for at that point. He just said, I want those who have a heart for me to bring their best. God doesn't need our money, our time, our talents. He certainly doesn't want us to give them out of duty or religious obligation. But he does want us. He wants our hearts rescued, restored in relationship and constructed around him. And so there we are, with everything that might be going on in the wilderness, everything that might be going on in the desert, everything that we might be struggling with on this day, perhaps more than any other day. God is seated. God is welcoming. God says, come just with your heart into my presence. I will be your God. You be my people. And we will journey together. I haven't got time to read it now today because we're going to come into our final song and into some ministry time together as we, as we close. But I really urge you to read Hebrews chapter 9 today in your scattered Sunday, in your Sabbath moments. Read Hebrews chapter 9 and how Hebrews explains how Jesus fulfills all that is spoken of in Exodus. But let's pray.